calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Welcome to Bitches on Comics. I'm your host, Essie Fleenor. And I'm Sarah Century. And today we have a very special guest, the one, the only, Stephanie Williams! Stephanie is the amazing genius slash auteur behind Parenthood Activate and behind But What If Though, these incredible web comics that are out, and she's going to tell us about something exciting that's happening this week. So we are just super pumped to have Stephanie with us. Stephanie, say hello to our audience. Hey, y'all. That was perfect. You're just so perfect. <laughs> Today we are going to be talking about black exploitation films, comics, sisterhood, not so much of the sisterhood, <laughs> and so on. So Stephanie, the world is your oyster. We are just here to enjoy your glory. Where do you want to start? Um, you know what? Let us just dive into Cleopatra Jones. Because I enjoy, <laughs> I always enjoy that movie whenever I watch it. So just a quick history as far as black exploitation films go. Um, my dad was really, really big and still is with buying DVDs from the barbershop. Yeah. So um, there'd be like these DVDs that just had like either, they started up their game. So it went from like handwritten to typed out to like actually being... <laughs> like print it on the on the disc so I remember the first time um I was actually looking for porn but it ended up <laughs> <laughs> so yes I thought clear package <laughs> was a porn <laughs> it was it, not wow <laughs> A little bit different, yeah. Very different. Um, <laughs> and um, it's this DVD of Tamara Dobson just being a total badass bitch and very fashionable. And I think I love this one out of all of them is because, so yeah, Cleopatra's in a relationship. She has a boyfriend. He thankfully does not die. But like, she's just, you know, she's kicking butt. She is throwing her badge around and then kicking butt after that. And then there's a really amazing car chase scene that happens in this film. She rides a dirt bike and she fights in a fur. I love that the mommy character is there because I love Granny Goodness. And yeah. I actually was surprised when I learned that Jack Kirby said that he was inspired by Phyllis Diller. And I'm like, are you sure? I don't want to question you, but... <laughs> 
I'm seeing Shelly Winters, but I'll let you have it. But she just really reminded me of Granny Goodness. So Cleopatra Jones is one of my favorites and probably out of all of them is the only one that I can go back and watch. And I don't necessarily cringe as much. Oh, like sure, there's still yeah. some cringe moments because it's black exploitation that is going to happen. But sure, yeah, um, <laughs> it's just the one that I don't know. Like I, I enjoy the, the most because it's the one that just feels a little bit. I don't want to say more empowering because the other ones have their moments too. But it's just really nice that she's doing her thing, but it's not a motivation because a boyfriend has died or right. a sister has gotten hooked on heroin or you know like, something like that. Like some yeah. other specific movies on this list. Yeah, I thought that it's really interesting to see Pam Greer just get to kind of go full James Bond, sort of <laughs> like Pam Greer version of James Bond a little bit. And yeah, I love Shelley Winters and I love this era of just absolute shit show Shelley Winters where she had kind of had such a weird and bizarre and long career and just was taking on these kind of batshit roles. This is not the first time she played a sexually exploitative kind of madam or or whatever like that also happened i believe in the movie the balcony which has leonard nimoy in it and is mm-hmm. very hard to find but she's so good in this <laughs> and i think that her interactions with pam greer and oh tamara dobson yes sorry i'm so no, no, no sorry. it's okay no 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 it's okay i haven't seen cleopatra jones in like actually a little while um but she is so so good in this movie and their rapport is brilliant yeah, no, it really is. Like, they really, it's a, they do a really great job of playing off each other. And again, like, of course, there's corny moments, but you could tell, like, they're kind of having fun. I would like to hope that they are, but who knows? Right. Um, but, like, again, out of all of them, it's the one that I think is the most rewatchable. And Shelly Winters is Shelly Wintering. It's really interesting. A lot of old Hollywood, or is that considered old Hollywood? Is Shelly Winters considered old Hollywood? Oh, totally. Because she was in, like, A Place in the Sun and stuff. So she was in a lot of old, they kind of first started to push her as a blonde bombshell. And she was like, all of those roles are extremely boring. Why don't you give me something good? And so she started kind of just going wild. In her later career, she just goes wild. Like this is a person whose movies are just so fun to follow over time. Yeah. And it's just a reason why I brought that up is because there are a few other old Hollywood stars that end up in these black exploitation films. Definitely. And it's just kind of like, I guess, not necessarily like a, a last hurrah, but you see them finding ways to not, you know, just disappear into the abyss. Yeah, kind of that B-movie thing that happened Mm -hmm. for a lot of stars in various different ways. But (laughs) yeah, yeah, Shelley Winters in this movie, good God. You just very recently wrote that article that was about, it like linked Granny Goodness to Shelley Winters, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a great article. And I kind of hadn't thought about it before. And after looking at it, I feel like I will never unsee it. You know, it's like one of those things <laughs> that from now on, I'm like, okay, those those are the same character. <laughs> I feel no. that way about uh, your point of view on a lot of things, Stephanie, where you're like, even like the Jean Grey fainting, <laughs> like the funny stuff, the critical stuff, the funny critical stuff, which is my favorite. It's just constantly like, God, you have such an interesting lens on this and you you connect things that like I wouldn't, but then I can never unsee them. Like Sarah was saying, I'm like, that's now how I see Jean Grey when she faints. It's just she wants a fucking day off. Like that's all I see now, you know? Well, no, because the funny thing is, like, for a while, actually, Granny Goodness, um, I don't know if you all have seen the movie Players Club, but in that stars Lisa Ray and 
I think Ice Cube is in it, Jamie Foxx is in it, Bernie Mac is in it. And Lisa Ray plays this woman who basically needs to find a way to support herself so that she can get through school. So she takes up stripping and in it, she encounters this other stripper who is like the, I guess if I put it in Hustler's terms, Jennifer Lopez's character, but well, Jennifer Lopez's character also wasn't all that, like ended up being kind of shitty too. But this woman is also shitty as well. Um, So she takes Diamond under her wing and you see the way that she handles the other strippers is kind of predatory. Um, right. And she's actually acts pretty predatory towards Diamond and also Diamond's cousin who um, ends up stripping as well and puts her in a situation that puts her in danger. Actually, she does get into danger and um, Diamond actually has to take care of it. So I was just kind of thinking of that and just these women that seem to have this power, right? They, they run things and usually sometimes they're just as predatory as the men that are in those roles. So I always thought that was kind of interesting. Also, um, wait, let me get the name. So I'm just not saying this other stripper because I've watched the players club so many times. I should know <laughs> Ronnie. <laughs> so, um, the right. character Ronnie, I guess I'm about to jump a little bit. Because I also want to talk about how queerness is treated in black exploitation films. Oh but yeah, <laughs> it kind of carries over into other notable black films too, and specifically in Players Club. Ronnie, I'm assuming, is queer. I'm just gonna say that because I don't want to say that she's bi or pan because I don't know, but I also know right. that she is interested in women. So the, because they, she has this predatory behavior that she shows. It's kind of messed up because it's just saying like, so this woman who is also interested in other women as well takes this, you know, this skeevy kind of creepy, again, predatory way about going about things. And it just because I think she's the only woman that's queer in this movie, it paints queer women in a bad light. It's also done mm-hmm. in these black exploitation films. However, it's not black women. It is usually white women. <laughs> All yeah, of them, yeah, yeah. actually. Usually the villains are... Um, they, you know, they have a, a soft spot in their heart for the women that they surround them. But again, it's very skeevy and predatory. And for black exploitation films, specifically, if you're just thinking about the context of when these movies came out, it was during a time of, um, you know, the the black movement um, mm-hmm. coming off the tail end of the civil rights movement, moving to black power, and then also women's rights and everything is going on. Right. And then once again, black women find themselves being asked, are you a woman first or are you black first? And mm-hmm. if we don't know the answer to that by now is <laughs> nearly impossible to say yes or no to either because you're both. Um, you exist right. as both and that's how you go about the world. So these movies, because um, one, uh, white people are also involved. The main audience are young black men. Of course, because why would you make anything for women? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. <laughs> Especially it's so centered around women, too. So why would that ever be written, directed, (laughs) like, by women? So my conspiracy theory hat on that is that, again, like, during this time, um, you have the women's movement going on, um, Mm -hmm. Black Power movement going as well. And a lot of these um, female protagonists, they embody a lot of our civil rights activists and a lot of the women that were a part of the Black Panthers, right? Mm -hmm. But (laughs) as history has shown us, women really don't add anything 
and I'm being very, 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 I'm not being serious when I say that, but. You're at a, you're at a, you're at a sarcasm level of 12 when you're saying that. Yeah. You're like, women don't add value to our society. Yes. So why, why would we necessarily need anything? So because, I mean, we are influenced by media and if things are repackaged in a way, then I'm not saying that it's going to change the way people feel. Sometimes it does, but there's a reason why these women present the way that they do. Um, they're very strong and they embody all of these women, but also at the same time, there's this secondary kind of classism to them, I guess. Yeah. So yeah, you have Cleopatra Jones, you have Foxy Brown, you have Coffee, you have all these women who can kick ass and are doing things, but at the same time, they're doing things in the best interest of men. Right. Like it's guys as though it's in the best interest of them because in coffee, for instance, Pam Greer is taking on um, this entire drug organization because of what has happened to her sister. Mm-hmm. I think that it's something that's interesting because we were talking a lot about having sisterhood and things and in Foxy Brown, of course, there's a black woman who is struggling, right? Mm-hmm. And then she saves her. She helps her. But in in a lot of the other movies that, you know, it's like the sister is kind of the backdrop, right? And yeah. you don't see that much between them. But you do see her have these, you know, really scary fights. I think there's like a there's like a black woman that throws a hammer at her head or yeah. something at some point. And yeah, like calls her like wild. Calls her a racial slur and you're just like, what the fuck? Like, what is happening? Yeah. Um, but it's just like also, a, like a fight where she gets razors in her, in her yeah. fro, and then yeah. she fights like the sex workers. And yes. Yeah. It's like so wild. Cause I'm like, Holy because do you think crap. that there's something? Cause I think there's something interesting to be said there, right? Where she fights entire groups of women. <laughs> yeah, she does. That's what I want to say. She's not just fighting a person. And like, this is true kind of across the board, right? Of like all of these protagonists, is you have them fighting. A big old group of women. Like, I, as long as I live, I will never forget the lesbian bar scene of Foxy Brown, where she just <laughs> fights, like, all of the lesbians. <laughs> but it's also, like, I mean, those lesbians, as you were saying before, with, like, the granny goodness kind of stereotype, a lot of those women were so predatory. Like, that one woman was absolutely creeping on her friend. And so, of course, yeah, punch her in the face. Like, she sucks. <laughs> but it's also <laughs> just, like, this was written by men. Yes. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it feels I, like um, like when you read the disclaimer at the end of a film, and it's like, any connection to real life is completely <laughs> coincidental. That's I feel right. like in black exploitation, like any of the good parts are completely coincidental. Like there's no way they intended, you know, to do the things that were amazing about it, you know? Yeah. And that's what it, it ends up being very secondary. Like you just take what you can get. Like, I mean, you all know I love comics and I like to read older comics and in those, like, you have amazing moments like Storm, um, mm-hmm. some man, I don't know what it is about black characters, not, they have to say Jive Turkey at least once. Oh, <laughs> yeah, they gotta love it. Um, but, uh, Storm, I think it's like X-Men, it's, it's gotta be X-Men 70 or somewhere around there where Kitty is taking dance classes with Stevie. Yes. This might be the same issue where Storm and Emma Frost have the body switch thing, which is, it's like the lead up to it. It's the yeah. lead up to it for sure. Because I've never read all these before, so I remember where everything is. I just <laughs> want to say like, too read that all like, of the comics. <laughs> this whole era, you're just like, what the what just happened in front of my yes! face? I am stunned. 
<laughs> so that's going on. But like she has a moment where she makes it rain on him and it's a really cool moment. But it is, yeah. then, um, you know, something happens two or three issues later and she's like, what the, who the fuck wrote this? And it's like, oh. I know this who guy. wrote this. Yeah. So it's a lot Because of- she's always walking through these neighborhoods and getting harassed by other black people, right? And like right. that's like what her story is so many times. You have Storm who is being harassed by black people, but you don't see Storm who has fellowship, you know? Yeah. So like all of that to me is very interesting. Like whenever you propose the subject of this podcast, but like there's a scene where they're at like the opera or something. It's mm-hmm. her and Stevie, and she's just sitting there thinking in her head about how much she doesn't like Stevie the whole time. Oh and my it's God. like, why don't you like Stevie? She's so cool. And like, it's, like, it's no storm was fine with Stevie. The writers had beef with Stevie, and, and like, beef with and black, black women, women being friends. Yeah. Yes, exactly, exactly. Right. So that happens, and it's just like so. Can black women not be friends with anybody? But yeah, they can. Um, just not with other black women. Cause then you have Only, Misty Knight, who's yeah. friends with Colleen, which is really cool and great. And was, mm-hmm. it's amazing. That's like the thing is, is like, I mean, there's that scene in one of these comics that like, I mean, I talk about Aurora and Jean all of the time where I'm just like, I love their friendship so much. Mm-hmm. Like, I love that whenever Aurora is under distress, she thinks about things that Jean said, you know, like yeah. there's something that's so I was beautiful. I my eyes out when that happened. I cry and I cry and I cry. It's but so it's like, sweet. I love them, but Storm, you should like meet some people. Because <laughs> like, <laughs> you really are just with the X-Men all the time. And it's like representation of minorities without, you know, it's about us without us or whatever. Like you yeah. see a bunch of like white straight people all over the place. And then it's like Storm, Bishop, you know, like there's just like not that many. And so I'm always just like, you know, it really did impact Storm's life to be taken to this like, yes. um, mansion that's like isolated with like a bunch of white people, right? And it's never explored. And we know why it's never really <sighs> explored. Um, and yes. that's a whole nother podcast. But it's just, <laughs> um, <laughs> but it made me think of that. So while watching a lot of these black exploitation films, I thought about, so there are a bunch of black people in this film and it's amazing, yes. but like there is no... There's hardly any sisterhood between um, a black woman and another black woman. Like there are scenes where they talk to other black women, but it's not like like you see in Black Panther. Yeah, it's like even your literal sister, you barely have a relationship with. And and then in that movie, you see her kind of go through all of these different interactions with other women where she's extremely hostile and sometimes with great reason. Yeah, (laughs) there's like the the girl who is. Like, oh, are you using again? Like, there's, like, so many terrible terms, you know, like, around addiction in these movies. But, yeah, that one lady, like, she's very frustrating. So I understand why Coffee kind of, like, (laughs) wants to take her out. Um, A lot of these women are really terrible, you know, so it makes sense. And, I, you know, I guess the profound take that these male screenwriters have is that, like, oh, well, women can be hungry for power too you know or something and it's just like yeah but i just think we would have learned a lot more if we had seen like the women be friends or team up or or you like know? sure have a fight that then leads to something of consequence <laughs> i don't know like it could it could matter to the plot of the film <laughs> right instead of just being like yeah this is where she like beats up all the lesbians <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> like, fuck <laughs> like, okay I, I guess that's a 
plot point question mark and i would too like i gotta emphasize these women are not portrayed very sympathetically so like absolutely you gotta take them out but (laughs) but i'm also just like but there could be other women and that's something that i thought was so interesting about how it's her versus the group all of the time Mm -hmm. right so you see her versus a bunch of women and it's like here's foxy brown or like you know coffee versus a whole group of women and that to me was like it's so isolating for her right yeah and it's again like just thinking of the context of like just the time I can see why it's kind of written that way because if we're again putting on our tinfoil hats and we're just thinking (laughs) of like propaganda and stuff like that if you've got this black woman who is up against these groups of women like so why even bother with feminism because it's just going to be the struggle um (laughs) so it's very interesting that while these films show these really strong powerful black women at the same time they're still isolated in a way and how that transfers and how you see that in a lot of the comics that are in this era because then you also have nightshade who i mean (laughs) it doesn't say directly that she's influenced by any uh specific black exploitation character but yeah she definitely is oh my god yeah 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 of course she is and a really fun character yes Um, and i think honestly like maybe your nightshade piece was like one of the first things of yours that i read yes it was so fun to read and i was so excited that somebody brought that character up (laughs) just in general because it doesn't really happen um but yeah it's the same thing with her right she's there versus dr strange captain america like doesn't really have any kind of connection to people no and it, it just really sucks and then you have the other side where we talk about foxy for a second her whole thing is she's ready to get revenge for her boyfriend's death and that it's fine that's cool and it's okay but again given the context of these films a lot of these women um some of their motivation is rooted in you know a loved one they know being harmed specifically a man and it made me think of dr karen beecher aka bumblebee oh Um, my god now i wish maul uh would have met an untimely demise like i do not like maul it's so <laughs> difficult. And okay, so going all the way back to the beginning, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> Maul is a hassle. He has promise, you know, he has kind of an inferiority complex. You understand why that would be the case. He has a really great sense of style. And, you know, he shows up and is just kind of like, I don't know if I even deserve to be on the Titans. And so Bumblebee does this thing where she decides that she is going to be the villain of the issue to make Mal look good, which is such a beautiful effort and completely wasted on Mal, one of (laughs) all people, because he is so unappreciative of everything she has ever done for him. And she has put her life on hold again and again and again. And even in the early days, Maul was not good to Karen. (laughs) It's rough. In something we read, he was like, uh, she's always running her mouth. And I was like, oh, "Oh, shit. (laughs) Like, I I would say that to no one. No one. (laughs) Because 
you're going to get slapped, you know? Like, what the hell? So, Marv Wolfman is terrible. Like, I mean, he, <laughs> yeah. he did some good stuff, I guess. Um, he <laughs> created Starfire, et cetera, et cetera. But it's like, those stories, the entire run of New Teen Titans, like, I read it as a kid, and, like, I read it back now, and I'm just like, this guy just gets in his own way at every turn, because there's always this pervy, terrible dude, like, all over the place, and it's every dude that he writes. And it's so exhausting. And Mal isn't like that because Marv Wolfman writes black men as being sans sexuality, right? Mm -hmm. So there's very little sexuality for black men in these comics. Instead, you just get mad, angry, moody, you know, like always putting Karen down, Mal. And that's almost worse because it's just like... Karen is a badass and we don't hardly see her through this entire... And it's like what, because like Nubia, they think maybe was like the first DC black superheroine, or it's Bumblebee who's like more traditional, right? Yeah. Um, so like she has so much history, and we never see this character. And like really cool powers, like <sighs> her powers are so cool. Like her what outfit it, what is I'm, cool. Yeah, the outfit's cool. Like she's a genius outside of any of her powers. Mm -hmm. Like, what a bummer to see a character so underutilized. And I think that's how I felt and feel about all of the characters we're talking about in this episode. Is like, even Storm, who is so incredible in the issues we were talking about, you know, she's just not even quite the Storm that she could be. You know, it's like, they just can't imagine Black women being powerful without it being connected to tragedy. No, and then if you, and I hate, it pains me to say this, but... Storm really doesn't have a personality. All the personality that Storm has is from all of us thinking of the Storm that we believe we see between the panels. Right. Mm. Um, and I think that happens with a lot of these Black heroines where... Now, Monica does have... <laughs> Monica is actually a special case because Monica actually does have personality. You can see it. Um, yes. Through that, her whole arc, too. yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> Nobody wrote her without a personality ever. I don't think. Like, no. I mean, looking back, she's always been very Monica Rambeau, and as the Avengers leader, that was so interesting to see because she had such a like an organic thought process. Yes. Like, you would always, it would always cut to her being like. This Dr. Druid guy is messing around. <laughs> and like, and it, we just got to see so much of her in that very short run that I just think that, yeah, as you say, like if she actually does really stand out for that. I think I've always been drawn to her character because she actually had character. And I'm not saying sure. that a lot of these characters don't necessarily have, they have some personality, but... And when you think of Storm, it's just like this, this regal air to her, which is nothing wrong with that because um, Wonder Woman has that. But the difference sure. between Diana and Aurora is that, I don't know, like you still feel like Diana has a personality outside of being Wonder Woman. For Storm, it's, I'm this goddess that, you know, people worship, um, you know, I can control the weather and all of a sudden I'm moody because I don't really know where I fit in because I've never addressed any of my issues. Um, right. And it just kind of goes and flows. And she's just always this calm, regal nature to her. But like, it's who is Storm though? Like, 
Yeah, like she has uh, like kind of an enigmatic personality, right? It's just like you could write her literally anyway. Now, um, I think that there are stories where I look at Storm and I think of how definitive it is. Like I talked about like X-Men, I think 205, where she battles Cyclops. And I know that you've talked about this as well. I think you wrote a whole article about it, actually, where she battles Cyclops. And to me, it shows exactly who Storm is because she's somebody who is just like, hey, we're going to fight it out. And then she takes Cyclops out in this incredibly gentle way. You know, and like yeah. I always think of that when I think of Storm as somebody who is a badass, uses as much power as she needs to use, and then doesn't use any more than that. And I, I always think that that's interesting. I think it's interesting to look at how she is associated with the Earth and how she, like, for some reason, is at the Xavier Institute, which is actually the thing that to me we can't really explain too well. So yeah, that's like that's the part where I'm always just like, <laughs> but would she really still be there? Um, that's the and that's the thing, um, right? And that's and I guess that's what I mean by that like I just still don't have a full grasp of what her personality is like when I think Mm -hmm. of Monica I get it okay so Claremont has a definitive storm for a lot of people uh whenever that moves along and of course Claremont's run there's issues but like he has this idea of storm where he doesn't always have to explain her and like blah 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 and like you know sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't yeah a lot of times it doesn't but whenever you walk out of that run nobody has even touched on that complexity whatsoever. So it's like, when you say they see her as regal, they see her as like a badass. I think about that all of the time because Storm is like my favorite character. So Mm -hmm. I'm always just thinking about how people look at her as just like, she shows up and she has all the lightning and like all of that. And then I'm always just like, but there's such a different side of Storm that we need to look at. (laughs) Right. And nobody does, right? Nobody has interest in it. It seems like the same thing that happens in the black exploitation films where like the idea of like an empowered black woman who's powerful and has dimensions is like unconscionable. So they get squashed. These characters get squashed into two dimensional or revenge. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like, they're bite size, like a bite size black woman. Like, okay, we can understand you being really pissed. Perfect. That, that, that's good. You know, done. Like, you can't have layers on top of that or like goals outside of murdering these people, you know? <laughs> yeah. And we see that again in was Amanda Waller. And mm-hmm. Vixen have a moment in Suicide Squad where Vixen is. She's, you know, returned back to modeling and the everyone at the photo shoot that she's at gets massacred. Vixen is angry. And of course, Amanda Waller being Amanda Waller is like, hey, not to be friends or anything, but I have an opportunity for you to get revenge on the person who did this. Because guess what? I also need to take this person out. So, like, let's do something. And it's not a, hey, sister, let me help you out type of thing. It's literally, you know a C&E, Philony type of situation. But Vixen in that, at least you do get to see some emotion because I think she ends up not killing that person and someone else has to do it because she's like, I can't do this. Oh, uh, I think she does, does kill she? the person. Okay. But then when, Is she remorseful she, about it? Yeah, okay. she's really troubled by it. It almost doesn't happen. And then it does. And then she seems very upset whenever she's being carried out of the situation. Um, well, and that's but, why she stays on the Suicide Squad. Is she's like, fine, I'm a monster. I I'll don't do give it. a shit like, yeah. anymore. I'll, go, I'll yeah. go kill some assholes. Like, I'm in, you know? Um, yeah. But the thing about that that I thought was really interesting was the fact that, I mean, we have talked about Amanda Waller being, like, the biggest wild card of all time. So, like, <laughs> you never know, like, what the heck, you know? I mean, I believe that you coined the term the wall that you don't try. and. Yeah. (laughs) 
it's uh, very true of her, but I don't think that most of the time there's going to be that level of callousness because she puts her in that situation, you know? Mm -hmm. And, like, that's terrifying. Like, why would you do that in a way? Because it's almost like she exploits her anger to such a degree that you're just like, holy shit, Waller, like... Exactly. And that is why that little small art comes to mind when I'm watching these black exploitation films. Cause I'm like, here are these women with this anger. Um, yeah. and we like know where the anger comes from, but it's not explored fully from that. And I'm not, you know, going to knock black exploitation films for not doing that because that's just not what they were there for. Sure. Um, right. They were there to entertain, and that was just... And they're fun. Yes, right? and they're fun, yes. Um, and then they touch on things going on in the community. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. they do. So, fast-forwarding several, several decades later, <laughs> Black Panther comes to mind because we have these women that embody the same characteristics as these um, black exploitation heroines, but they're actually fleshed out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yes, we just talked about World of Wakanda a little bit and just how fun and good that was. Uh, so good. And the crazy yeah. thing real quick about that. So, you know, how did Dora Milaje come to be um, and Christopher Priest run? Like there are these underage mm-hmm. girls that are protecting T'Challa. Gross. Here we go. But it's, yep. it's funny that it's not until um, much, much, much later that someone says, Maybe we should give the Dora Milaje a little bit more than just being (laughs) (laughs) T'Challa's security guards. And like you just mentioned, World Wakanda is, we see a little bit hint of it in um, Doom War. There's a peak, not very much, but in the events leading up to that. And then also when um, Neymar comes and does his thing and like the Dora Milaje um, stand up for themselves and like, yeah, T'Challa, I don't know what you're doing, but we're out. Um, we start yeah. to see that in World of Wakanda, like, really, really brings that out. It's such a wonderful, you know, I think it's five issues. I loved it. I thought it also provided all this um, context. I rewatched Black Panther for this because you were tweeting about it. And yeah. and I was like, I want it fresh top of mind. <laughs> and I actually felt like in every scene I was like, but go back, go back to Okoye. Yeah. Go back to Nakia. I don't actually care that much about the guys, which... I didn't feel the first time or fourth time or eighth time I watched it as we're like broaching like modern. I want to like tie into some other properties that recently came out like Birds of Prey. I would love to hear like how you feel about like Watchmen because there's obviously like direct allusions to black exploitation, right? Because like Mm -hmm. the main character takes her name from that. I think it's like really interesting to see how all these threads like play out later. But yeah, I, I there was a point where Okoye was just like kicking everyone's ass in a bar. And I was like, yeah, this is exactly like coffee when, yeah. you know, she goes in and destroys all those women. And the, but the great thing about that. Um, so as we fast forward and move forward, actually, I would even bring up set it off real quick. Um, because oh, yeah. in that, um, you have four black women. They decide to do a heist of sorts and you have Queen Latifah. I think that is the first time, um, oh my God. an event like the car scene where her girlfriend's like dancing. They, they're celebrating. Oh my this God. Book. I and can't like, even. <laughs> Queen Latifah is wearing lingerie and Dickies at the same time. That will never oh my not God. be. <laughs> never, never, never the funny. video for in vogue yeah don't let go or whatever yeah. <laughs> i watched that video seven billion times yeah. like i that like corresponds with the movie before the movie came out yeah. and then once the movie came out i was just like this is my favorite thing i've ever seen and people around me were just like why and i was like you know dot 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 
five years pass, you're gay. Like you love yeah. Queen Latifah. <laughs> exactly. Like I feel like that might actually be the first time I should have known I was gay. I think I was watching uh, Living Single and I was like, I couldn't love this person more. Like this is my hero. I want to be her. And turns out you're just queer. Turns out just gay. And even living single at a young age watching that, I'm like, you all are really trying to sell me that Queen Latifah likes men like this. And Oh, I know, right? Do I enjoy seeing Chris Williams on the screen and these other men that she, you know, I think Morris Chestnut at one point? Yes, but also y'all are lying, but it's okay. Yeah, and it's cute anyway. Like, they're yeah. cute. It's yeah. kind of, you know, yeah. it's like I, I watch so much straight washing over time <laughs> that it's just like sometimes when people are just like, no, they're straight for real. Wink. I'm just like, <laughs> okay. It's like, yeah, sure. I definitely saw set it off, but yeah, whatever. Um, but yeah. I bring it up because, like, you know, you have these women working together their personalities are very different but they're working mm-hmm. together um unfortunately it does not work out and jada Pinkett has though. to go to mexico and cut her braids out of her hair so um oh, that is that but then you have um you know as you go uh your luke cage where season two i think the strongest part of that season was you got to see all of these varying black women work together mm-hmm. even mariah to see her work against them yeah. That was really cool. And then, um, yeah. yeah. And that's, and you know, I uh, love a female villain. I'm like, give me more. I love it. Give me a bitch who doesn't care. Yes. Step on my neck. (laughs) And like, Mariah is like ruthless in another way. Um, that yeah. felt fresh and I was like really yeah. happy and just hats off to Alfie Rudder because she's just amazing. But that was, oh it God. was so organic, right? Yes. Like the, the process of her becoming a villain, you're just like, fuck yeah. <laughs> like, I would <laughs> like, be one too. Like that makes perfect sense. I gotta be real. When she's like kissing shades in front of people and then being like, what? He's my brother. Like I was like, oh, oh, <laughs> you, yes, go. I love you. Like so good. And also, because she's an older black woman too and yes. that's just really cool um to see that and gorgeous more too. of Ugh. that so bring so you mentioned birds of prey and birds of prey i really enjoyed and i wasn't expecting to enjoy like as sure. as much as i did um mm-hmm. wonder woman and captain marvel well like i like those films i don't hate them i kind of walked out of the theater feeling like i don't know like left out I guess, oh, and God. I hate to say that about Captain Marvel because Lashana Lynch is right there, but... Brilliant. Um, She's a secondary character. Yeah. But, yes. But, and I don't know, um, yeah, I, I thought that Dinah Lance had such a strong standing point in Birds of Prey. Yes. She's like, the only one with, like, superpowers. Completely like, fleshed out, too. Like, that was kind which of the is thing. Was crazy. I thought that they all had their arcs, right? Yes. Like, every yes. character had an arc. And that was, to me, just, like, you can tell that this was written, directed, mm-hmm. starring, like, a crew of women because they all have a part. Like, they all, they all have, have their, their own full goals. story. They all have their own reasons for being involved. Like, I feel like it was, to me... It's the best ensemble superhero film, definitely, that I've seen. I I think, like, blows them rest out of the water because it fucking makes sense. And I know why every fucking character is in every scene. You know, like, half the time when I'm watching an Avengers film, I'm like, why is that person even there? (laughs) They don't need to be there. I wouldn't be there if I was them. (laughs) 
and like Harley is there. She's this white, she's this white character, but like there is no type of like the other characters aren't used to make her remorse for anything like that. Like, yes. Harley, uh, like Harley is still really shitty. Yeah, but it's fine because Cassandra Kate actually holds her accountable because she's like, "Do you forgive me?" She's like, "Hell no, fuck you! I do not forgive you." Yes, yeah, <laughs> I've, yeah. All of those characters—that was like the thing, right? That's the difference when the characters actually make sense on their own. <laughs> You know, and I feel like sometimes whenever we're talking about this stuff, you're trying to explain it to people outside, like, you know, be like, okay, so like the difference is, is that they have arcs, like they literally <laughs> have a story of themselves. And that is why it is different than watching the last 80 years of Lois Lane, like, because oh, Lois Lane Lois. has always oh. been played as an accessory or like, you know, in that, I mean, with like Storm, whenever we, whenever we see a Storm where I feel like the ball has been dropped, you know, like a Storm where I'm just like, where is her character though? You know, and like what mm -hmm. you're saying, Regal all of the time, like that's not who Storm is like no person is actually like that she shouldn't have to be a goddess for us to like love her you know? yes so it's like i mean and dinah lance in this movie not a goddess like totally makes mistakes terrible mistakes mm -hmm. but she has pain and we see it and it's not even we see her talk about her mother and have that pain so that's a unity in and of itself mm -hmm. she's just like i saw what you did to my mom and you're not gonna do it to me but then also besides that you see her again and again seeking a group yes. which is so different than the isolation that we keep seeing with these other characters where you're just like you know I, I believe that there's totally been articles written about how like Storm never connects to her black identity like almost ever in a comic it's so weird talks about her mutant identity never talks about being a black woman really and doesn't really talk to other black women and like the times when it happened as we just said is weird so i just thought that it's kind of a revelation in a way one that is literally like probably a century overdue <laughs> where you're just like they actually gave this character a story well, and, and also she could have her own movie and we would watch it you know mm -hmm. absolutely right and I, you know what i think there's all these like high intense moments that are absolutely character divining for her. But for me, there is this moment where Black Mask makes a woman get up on the table and dance. Yeah. And is like such a harrowing moment. It really and she is. cries. And she cries. And she tries to remove herself from the situation, right? Like yeah. you can feel the pain just like royal through her body. And if you're a person who's ever been objectified, if you're a gender minority, you know both of those characters' experiences, at least mm -hmm. to some level, at the same time. Like, you've seen women treated like shit and been unable to change the situation. Or you've been yeah. the person being treated like shit and been unable to change the situation. And I thought that that was, like you were saying, Sarah, it's like, this is how you know who made this film. Because these moments are so specific and they're treated with so much gravitas before we were recording, Stephanie, I was I was sharing with Sarah that I was reading a a comic that had the audacity to declare I'm not even gonna like shit talk because like I don't want to give that person anything, <laughs> but like to declare this like random ass white guy is like so good at writing women characters, and I was like I hate everything about this, <sighs> and I'm reading the comic and there's like an explicit rape scene where a character I'm not even gonna go to details because I don't want to trigger anybody, and it's just like dropped in like, oh, this is a great way to show what a good guy this character is. And it's like, what the fuck? Birds of Prey knew how to take you to where that could go mm -hmm. and let you feel the pain without traumatizing you, right? Like, 
they were yeah. never going to take us to watching her experience further violence. What was under that character was absolutely violent, but we were never going to go that step further. And I think that restraint is so often what I see missing from male creators, where they're so willing to put women and gender minorities, queer characters, people of color in these horrific positions to be deeply wounded to then be like, oh, and now you'll understand why this thing is so good. And it's like, we don't actually need that. That's like not that helpful. No. And that's what happens with granny goodness. Um, we finally learn yeah. like what her whole thing is. And also what happens to Foxy Brown, uh, thanks to uh, Miss Catherine, who actually right. um, ends up trying to see what she can sell her for on the sex trace. Like, and I'm just like, okay, wow, this is really happening. Um, and she ends up being sexually assaulted Thanks to her. And it's just like, you don't what we don't need to see it. And then also there is a way to go about, you know, showing how extreme the situations can get without actually showing it. And Kathy Yang did that. Yeah. Oh, and coffee. Coffee felt like it opened with an assault. And then it was just like through the end. Just assault, <laughs> yeah. assault, 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 assault. And it was like, hold like my partner when we turned it off, was like, I can't watch these other movies with you. I'm so sorry. I, I <laughs> don't blame them Hilarious at all. because you've never experienced that. <laughs> yeah. No, and and that's kind of how I was. And I was like, you know, just doing a lot of rewatch of these. Like, I had to space them out because um, a lot of them can just get really raw and just... Wow, y'all are doing a lot. So to say that I was happy that I ended it with watching Black Panther because <laughs> I was having a conversation with someone and they were like, if you watch Black Panther again, it's kind of, you know, black exploitation adjacent. Like, what do you mean by that? So then I watched it. And I'm like, yeah, you're kind of right. <laughs> because T'Challa, the very beginning of the movie, interrupts Nakia and the work that she's doing. Yes. Um, the work that she's doing that Wakanda is not doing. So, uh, and to invite her to a ceremony that he almost lost. So someone, I tweeted about that and someone was like, well, she had to be there because she was part of such and such tribe. I'm like, no, Boo. I'm pretty sure there was a stand-in <laughs> that could have gone in her place. But I, I get it. This is how you wanted to bring in Nakia. That is fine. And I thought a moment that we don't talk about enough that happens in this that I know will never have happened in a black exploitation film is T'Challa's mom. When they're trying to make their way to the Jabari tribe, turns to Nakia and just like you take the heart shade or <laughs> like I don't think people know how profound that is that the right. mother of That's this amazing. king would say to um to this other black woman no I, I I trust you enough and I have so much faith in your abilities in your decision making that I think you could be the next black panther mm-hmm I thought too, like it was nice because the sort of reverse of that happens right before mm-hmm. where Ramonda and Shuri watch T'Challa, they think die. And then Nakia is the one who's like right there, right next to him, like a flash, like we've got to get you out of here. Like this yes. guy is bad news. And so I love that you are such small moments time wise, but they have so much gravitas, you know, because they really do communicate these depths of care again, between like you were saying two black women on screen. And we don't get to see that a lot. Definitely not in these type of films, like these superhero <laughs> yeah, action yeah, yeah. action like films, because there can it's Highlander. There can only be one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's just so frustrating. <laughs> so um, another moment is you can see that Nakia and Okoye have there is a friendship there. 
And we see it because after they have this very intense argument after Eric comes to power and, um, you know, the kid's like, what are you about to do? I get that you're Dora Milaje and your loyalty is to the country, but, and he's the king now, but this isn't going to work. So Okoye is like stuck because she's stuck between what do I do that's best for the country, but also serve the king at the same time, which is my duty. But this guy is horrendous and we just can't do that. And she's visibly frustrated. Like, I think her mm-hmm. eyes are watery and I don't feel like it was just out of frustration. I think it's because, you know, she's disagreeing with her friend and you're, you're seeing this happen. And then it's really great to see them all work together at the end mm. um, because <laughs> if it was just on T'Challa, Wakanda would just be under. Or, or <laughs> you know, Eric would have been in power. And, like, that film is really nothing without the women. And I yes. strongly believe Ryan Coogler did that for a reason. But Winston Duke would have been killed by the rhino. Yes. Like, <laughs> like Okoye is everywhere. She's like, this rhino loves me, you idiot. Like, this rhino isn't going to kill somebody. Not if I tell it not to. I'm like, oh, my God. I love her so much. Yeah. And, and, then, and then the sad part, the person who I feel like unfortunately was having a black exploitation moment was eric's girlfriend oh my oh, god <laughs> devastating <laughs> yeah. that that person just, unfortunately was in her own black exploitation movie and it did this not is what out. always upsets me too is is that like you have I and mean, this is like activists just in general i would consider killmonger to be an activist mm-hmm. i think that he talks a lot of the same stuff that you would hear from like you know black panthers yeah but it's like it's the same as Magneto, right? Like, they always have that falling point of just being like, but I am too ruthless and terrible. And that does happen in life sometimes. Yeah. But it doesn't happen in life all of the time. And so all of our villains shouldn't be that easily bested. Every time you see somebody go to those extra links just to, like, prove their point or something, and then, like, they lose their point, when that happens, I guess that it's trying to tell us something. But I'm also just like, where are the stories where, like, the activists are just like that in your face and that correct about things and then they don't hurt the people that they're supposed to be protecting Mm -hmm. yeah like hurt this girl and like she seemed like stuff was going to happen with her so that sucked (laughs) like i originally thought that was going to be our nightshade a nightshade i'm thinking of the other woman and we don't get a lot of her at all i think she's only like three issues with the leopards is it Madam Slay? Yes. Jesus Christ. Why oh, could you get something like that? Yes. <laughs> you won. All right. So Eric's girlfriend, I initially thought was going to be like potential for like a Madam Slay, but that just doesn't happen. And it sucks. It's such a disappointment. That made me so sad. And then, yeah, I always dislike the ending. I realize this is what happens in the comics. I just like, I hate to see characters repeat the mistakes of their parents. It always cuts me really hard because I'm like, fuck, if we can't learn generation to generation, we are going to be fucked forever. And but yes, the moral is that T'Challa does learns. learn. And yeah. Shuri learns and T'Challa <laughs> does open and like, yes. But it just like kills me that he kills Eric, you know? It's just like, I know. fuck, man, fuck. But then he did he cost us not our, so our dead. friend. Yeah. And he is going to come back, of course. Yes. Of course. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, they, they have the technology. I'm pretty sure they they figured that out. Um, they can make him stronger, better, <laughs> faster. So, I mean, I hope they figured it out. But um, 
But yeah, like the great thing about Black Panther and then also um, Watchmen, where we have Sister Knight, who is yeah. <laughs> is inspired by what is clearly a black exploitation um, character in that um, universe. Because I don't, I thought Sister Knight was real for real and I missed it. And <laughs> yeah. I was like searching, going crazy. I'm like, oh, no, 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 they made this up. But I'm like, good the on them because I believe it. I did it. the same thing. I was like, how do I not know who Sister Knight is? <laughs> like, this seems like everything I would like. Because it's because it's, it's fake. <laughs> it that's why you fool. Um, but the the beautiful thing about Sister Knight, and I was trying to figure out like where Sister Knight would fit among all these black exploitation characters, and I mean Sister Knight, Angela Abar, not the movie or whatever, but she is like this beautiful composite, but evolved composite because she's more than just a two-dimensional character she's a three-dimensional oh, yeah. character and you see her you know be love love um be angry and it's okay that she's angry because she has every right to be angry and she doesn't tamper that down as we see her beat the crap out of um nazis left and right um oh. But at the same time, you have the moment with her and, spoiler alert, Mr. Manhattan, where we don't know that he's Mr. Manhattan yet, but um, we have her and Cal. They're having this moment uh, on Christmas Eve, and I wanted to kill those Nazis for messing that moment up because I was like, wait, what are we doing here? Where, where is this leading to? And I think that that moment was ruined because of that. Not because of the bigotry and hatred. No, no, no. I was upset because they (laughs) ruined this really great moment that was happening, this tender moment that's happening between these two characters. (laughs) And then the fact that she switches and she's already um, in kill mode. And I think it only works because it's Regina King. But um, it's just... Sister Knight is is just an amazing evolution, and you can tell that you know um, the writers were inspired by black exploitation um, heroines, but they decided to kick it up a notch and show us what those characters could look like if we were able to see them as fully formed characters. I think that that's such a great point. Such a great point, Stephanie. You know what I was realizing as you were speaking too is like her three-dimensionality is also, it's established and then it's deepened, Mm -hmm. right? Like the character we meet in the first episode is powerful, is deep, is concerned. And then it's like, what, is it episode six or seven of eight, I think it is, that we find out Cal is Dr. Manhattan? Yes. And, And it's like, this badass has been keeping a secret of like the most important to the planet for what, what is it? It's a decade, right? A perfect yep. ten years. They get their perfect ten years. Oh, oh, I can't even think about it. I'll start bawling. I was just like, fuck. I knew she was a badass, right? Like I knew she was an incredible physical fighter. I knew she was an incredible detective. I knew all these things. But now there's this layer of like, and she can keep a secret. Which, like, mm-hmm. I know kind of doesn't seem that important, but it's like, I can't In keep comics. a secret. <laughs> yeah. And, like, you could also make a lot of money off of your secret or, like, have fame or all these other things. And she just, like, locks it down. Just, like, that's in, like, that other part of my brain that I don't access. Incredible. Incredible. It really, it really honestly is. And you just see them be regular. But they're mm-hmm. two extraordinary people at the same time. So I... Mm-hmm. The Watchmen series, I had no intention of watching it. And then I heard that. Because like the comic, um, I feel the same way that I do about Martha Washington, um, which. Mm. <laughs> We've know. talked about, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I was kind of going to be like, eh, 
But when I heard that Virginia King was there, I was like, okay, I, I might check it out. But then I watched the first episode and I couldn't turn it off because I didn't start it until I think they were six or seven episodes deep. So it was a long weekend for me. <laughs> I I was actually in the same place, Stephanie. I was like, you know, Sarah and I even talked about it. Like, there's, you know, there's the weird licensing issues yeah. around it and and like, you know, I, I'm all about intellectual property and respecting artists' rights. And and I'm like, you know, I also like I'm I've seen so many sequels. I enjoy sequels, but like, do I need a Watchmen sequel? Like, I don't really like the movie. And the yeah. book, when I really read it again, I was like, fuck, fuck, right. and fuck. Uh, this was not something that I should have been handed. But then everybody was like, this TV show. Twitter was like freaking out. So I was like, fine, I'll watch it. First episode. Sold. You can have all my monies. I will watch you forever. And now apparently they're going to maybe bring it back for a second season, which is kind of a bummer, actually. Yeah, it actually is a bummer. And and that's the first time I've actually really felt that way. I was like, no, um, mm -mm, you can actually just leave it here. It's fine. We don't need any more. <laughs> Let this moment exist the way that it did. Um, and I think the only reason why, not the only reason why I continue to watch it, but I think it's because of the care taking in uh, Regina King's character. Like we weren't just going to get another black woman who was going to be um, this person who saves everyone or anything like that. But we're getting this black woman who is a badass, but also at the same time is human. And I feel like that is weird to have to say that aloud um, because, of course, you know, black women are human. But no, like a lot of times in these the genre, I would say um, that's kind of lost in the mix because it's either one or the other. Are you right? Are you human or can you be human and strong at the same time? And both can exist at the same time. Like there is there's strength to be found in love. And again, I go back to Monica Rambeau. The reason why I think she's just such a unique character is because, mm -hmm. and I'll just briefly mention this, a lot of those black exploitation heroines, like they have some type of traumatic, tragic story of origin. The same can be said for a lot of characters, period, in comics, but specifically black characters and black women mm -hmm. in comics. Like a lot of times their origins are traumatic in nature. Like Riri Williams, mm -hmm. for instance, her father and her stepfather are gunned down and, and her I'm best like, friend yeah. and her best friend I'm just and she's not even 14 uh, yet I'm just like oh, but Brian Bendis oh. chill out mm. I'm just like, <laughs> like okay guy um yeah. but you know you have that going on but with Monica that's not the case like she gets her powers in an accident but it's because she is you know trying to do the right thing and she still has like support of her parents and Yes. You can tell that they love her and they're like really encouraging her and she mm -hmm. is finding strength in that love. So going back to Watchmen, even though Angela also has a tragic origin story of sorts too, she still is able to experience love and love and also be angry as hell at the same time. Right. You wrote about Monica's parents, is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember reading that, I think, right after I wrote about Monica as leader of the Avengers. Yeah. And <laughs> reading somebody else talking about, like, that era of Monica was just like, oh, my God, like, <laughs> yes, now somebody is talking about this. And it's so true because you talk about the parents and that. Now, some of the comics that we were just reading that were new Teen Titans comics, we saw Cyborg's parents, mm -hmm. right? And I think that, like, Cyborg's parents have basically, it's his grandparents, actually. Yeah. But Cyborg's parents had not very much depth to them. And then we see Monica's parents, and they have Joe 
jokes and they're really cute with each other and they had a good relationship with Monica. They were just really caring towards her. Yeah. All of that was really cool to actually see too because with Cyborg, you know, there's so many issues with Cyborg as a character and, you know, it's better over time. But it was just so interesting to see, I guess, because like his parents are super one note Mm -hmm. kind of like, you know. Yeah, they're oh, just like, we're worried. That's what we're we are. worried about <laughs> Cyborg. That's all we do is worry. Which, yeah. like, maybe as a grandparent, kind of true. Sure. But also, I think you, like, at least are, like, I don't know, playing bingo, like, doing literally anything else with your time. This Monica's is the thing. parents are worried too. And, <laughs> like, they uh, have personality while they're doing You're it. You're right. Exactly. Right. Worry is not a personality. <laughs> Right. You know, it goes back to this, like we were saying this at the beginning, and I think some people are not going to like hearing this, but it's like, that's called bad writing. Because <laughs> every character should have their own goal. Otherwise, why are they in your story? <laughs> like, you don't have to include them. <laughs> yeah, so that is why I kind of felt the way I did about Captain Marvel in a way, because I'm just like, so how does... Maria operate outside of Carol and we really Mm -hmm. don't get a chance to see that even though it's Carol's movie but it's just also like okay but but still it could have been done better you know like Like what they just sat around for like this what is it six years you were gone (laughs) let's think about Carol Let's just like sit around the table and think about that. That's why you're correct that Carol literally owes alimony. Like Carol needs to pay up. She is a deadbeat dad. Like it's like she gets to zoom in all cool and like, you know, her adopted daughter is all like auntie, you know, and like (laughs) stuff like that. And it's just like, you know what though? You owe somebody money right now. Like, you have bounced and left her alone. And Marie's like, like you think now, this house is free? You think this house now. is free? It's a joke that I will never let die because that's the first thing. Like when I walked out of the theater, I was like, wow. So Carol's a deadbeat mama. That is crazy. It is real intense to watch as a gay person. Definitely, I will say. Because um, you're just like, when are they going to say something about how much money she owes like when are they gonna bring it up that she just bounced on her daughter for like seven years (laughs) she wants to go get milk and bread from the convenience store in another galaxy and i was just i'll be on holla (laughs) bye-bye And then she leaves again. It's like what what we saw in Endgame. She left again. And it's just like you didn't even have a long weekend. Like you didn't. She left three times in her short story we know of her. She left when she had the amnesia. Yeah. Then she left right when she got back. She left to go help the um, Skrulls. The Skrulls. She like went to help the Skrulls. Then she comes back for Endgame. But then by the time of Spider-Man, she's gone again. Yes. (laughs) Carol is a fuck boy. Like, (laughs) straight up. Like... She owes money. She needs to settle this out. She owes an emotional debt. That's for goddamn sure. Oh, I want a t-shirt. This is Carol Danvers is a fuck boy. Oh, that's good. Oh, Look I, at her haircut. I know. I was just going to bring the haircut. It's like literally if you were just like, literally, if you walked up to Carol Danvers' haircut and you were just like, listen, I like don't like how you do this thing that you're doing. And like her haircut would respond, what (laughs) it's just like literally a fucking fuck boy like through and through have you seen the new l word 
Nope. No, I have uh, not. Um, you know, it's okay. It's, I I live for Ben, <laughs> so like I enjoyed it. Sure. There are highs and lows, but there's this character named Finley who's like this lesbian with like dark, large eyebrows and like floppy blonde hair and like hairy armpits. And when you were describing Carol's hair responding <laughs> and her being a fuckboy, I was just like, "Is Finley Carol's youth? Like, <laughs> oh my god, I think so." <laughs> Oh, I'm looking at a photo. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. <laughs> I want to look too. I had it open to Regina King, and now I'm gonna move along to Finley Elward. All right. Yeah, that's accurate. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good laugh. Yes. Oh my fucking god! I thought it was Greta Gerwig. Right. <laughs> Oh my god! Oh my god! See what's fucked up is like as a lesbian, I have dated this fuckboy seven thousand times. Like, (laughs) and so I see Carol Danvers' haircut, and I'm just like, you need to stop texting me every six months at two o'clock in the fucking morning, and like, I miss you. Fuckboy, look, fuckboy transcends all. It really does, and I wish it didn't, but it really does. (laughs) Because I used to always be like, well, lesbians have to be the best of all of the humans and then i'm just like they're super fucking not like there's fuck boys of this too fuck yeah like yes it turns out friends doesn't matter what your gender or sexuality is you can you still can be, be a, a real dick. fucker yeah. you know yeah. like you can choose to be a piece of shit and you know who had to learn that foxy brown yep. cleopatra jones absolutely, <laughs> like, absolutely. monica rambo <laughs> unfair world. everybody we talked about in this fucking <laughs> podcast so stephanie tell us about what yes. is going on with your kickstarter and your yes, projects yes, yes. we know you're just like busy out the wazoo we want you to tell us about it so we can get our listeners to come support your awesome sure work. so um i'm happy that we have this conversation because the kickstarter um campaign that will go live on friday uh the 28th of february 2020, just in case you're a time traveler. Um, I just want to specify, you never know. That is, it's called Living Heroes. And it's basically born out of one, just my love of remixing things and like putting all these pop culture things that we love and putting it together, like my robot chicken, but with flavor. Um, and, And so it's a fan comic. So it features Monica Rambeau, Storm, Misty Knight, and She Hulk. Because I don't know, like for me, Jen, is she a white lady? Yeah, she was, but she's green all the time. And Jean, I mean, uh, Jen has <laughs> always like really been a true ally to uh, Monica Rambeau. Like the receipts are yes. there. Yeah, Except for that, that weird, that weird story that she had with Firefox and the court case. And we will yep, act guess like what? it never we happened. We forgot about that. It didn't even exist. <laughs> That's deleted. That's deleted. <laughs> it doesn't exist. But um, I hated it. <laughs> oh, I just, I want to fight. Okay. but Forever. Forever. <laughs> living Heroes is like putting these characters in like a living single type of sitcom where they get to interact with each other. They're not doing superhero stuff. They're doing everyday things that, you know, all of us do. And I always love to see superheroes in that setting because like, what are they doing when they're not being superheroes? They're being actual humans. And again, this is another way to, I hate having to say humanize because they are humans, but like humanize these characters and show like, 
Storm interacting with other black women and actually, um, <laughs> you know, uh, realizing the fact that she is black. So it's just a really fun, <laughs> fun thing to do. Like there'll be other characters that show up. There have been two issues for it so far that have showed up in my, but what if those series? So the first one is just like an introduction. And then the second issue, um, I always like to see shows within shows. So yes. it's power couples court. And of course, Jen is on there. Um, as one of the judges and it features uh, the Fantastic Four and the yes. messiness that is Reed and Sue Storm and Neymar. <laughs> and uh, you get an introduction to who's going to be the Overton of the series and that is Sam Wilson. And of it's course. just it's just fun. It's just something that I wanted to do. I plan on it being a one-off, but people like really, really loved it. And I was like, okay, well, I'll do another one. And they really loved that second one. And folks were saying like, so are you going to do more? And I'm like, I would, but there's this thing called money. And I like to give it to the artists that I commission for their work because nobody can live off exposure. That does not pay any bills. Mm -hmm. And the only way to kind of do that is to kickstart it and, you know, to get the funds so that I can pay the artist who is Erin O'Neill Jones. So you haven't heard of her. So good. I hope you heard of her now and you go check out our work. And, you know, just kind of secure that so we can get this out. I would like to do a full 24 page fan comic and just get this out to you all. It's just it's fun. I hope that you'll support it. If you go to my Twitter page or Instagram, it's at Steph underscore I underscore Will. I've been tweeting about it like crazy. I'm gonna be tweeting about it some more once it goes live on Friday. We will also be tweeting yeah. about it. So Thank you, you can all. just keep an eye on the Bitches on Comics, both our Instagram and our Twitter, we will be throwing down because we believe in the power of independent art. And independent art done by black women, uh, hello, sign me up. And because we love you. I and love this is too. gonna be so great. Like, it's so good. It's All so of the funny. things that I see on Instagram, it's just unbelievably exciting. You have another webcomic. Yes. And that is brilliant. I love both of these comics and they've kind of sprung up over just like the last few months. So it's just been great just watching them kind of grow. I have so much more stuff in my like Google Docs, but it's just like, again, money (laughs) and time also. So, but um, Paranoid Activate is another one, which I eventually would like to do something a little bit more with that, but Still kind of thinking about it, but that comic is based on um, the trials and tribulations of being a parent to a small child. Um, there are funny moments, but just kind of just reimagining those stories that, you know, I either share on Twitter or just things that happen. And you all should definitely check it out. There is an alien spoof of this comic that will be coming <laughs> out soon because, you know, I love Ellen Ripley and I... <laughs> stick by this that she was just trying to get back to her daughter so that she wouldn't have to pay for aftercare and you know <laughs> damn them damn wailing you tiny serious <laughs> keeping this woman from getting back and trying to celebrate her um daughter's 11th birthday so <sighs> mom's mom's fate uh which is a <laughs> but would have though that'll be coming soon and if that sounds familiar <laughs> it's because it's inspired by terminator so please check that out um, Sarah Connor has <laughs> if, found a new calling. 
<laughs> if you want to hear Stephanie talk more at length about Parenthood Activate, make sure to check out episode 12 of Bitches on Comics. We had This is our seventh, second time having Stephanie on because she's incredible. Yeah, y'all uh, are but incredible. This episode is so fun. We really get into like what it's like to be a creator. If you're a new creator, people have found it really encouraging because, hello, Stephanie's a very encouraging creator. So make sure you check that out. And then if you want to learn more about What If, though, if you are a patron or if you become one, on episode 17, we reviewed What If, though, and talked about what an incredible webcomic it is. So Stephanie is creating just remarkable stuff. Again, it's an independent creator. It's important to be supporting independent art. Obviously, if you're listening, you know that because we are also independent creators. What Stephanie's creating is right in all the ways. Like, you know, you could feel good about spending money on it because you're supporting people who really love their work. And it's fucking hilarious. Like, you get to have your chuckles and you get to feel good. And to me, that's called a win-win. <laughs> well, that is the most glorying uh, just review I've heard. So thank you so much. <laughs> Absolutely. Anything else, Stephanie? Um, no, I think that's that's it. Yeah, no, that that's it. Just please be on the lookout for that Kickstarter. Uh, again, February 28th is the day that it launches. And, you know, that goes for 30 days. So um, if you can, please, I would love your support. And please check out But What Up Though and Parenthood Activate because there are just a ton of stories that I can't wait to share with y'all. Yes, oh, yeah. SE and I are both gonna sign up uh, for yeah. Kickstarter because I got Absolutely. one with Amanda Waller and um, Alfred Pennyworth, which oh I almost just probably will get me desk. blocked. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited! And I'm actually, so I just excited. realized I think I subscribed to your Patreon too. Yeah, and so yeah, yeah. <laughs> Patreon is great. Just now that I'm realizing that I do this, um, everybody should subscribe to the Patreon because it is incredible and very delightful just to get these little, uh, you know, because you like share parts of the comic before you share the full comic. Yeah. So it's been really nice to just be like, what? <laughs> like, what is this? Where is so, this going? Where's it gonna go? Like, and, and it's just—it's been so great every time. And I was just gonna say, like, the previews of the Kickstarter bonuses look incredible. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah! So yes. if you love stickers and you love enamel pins, which I know y'all do, yes, 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 yes <laughs> please. Um, we've got some goodies um, coming your way, especially scandalized Deadpool because he is my favorite. Oh, Envision with a do rag is oh, like. <laughs> Every time I see it, there was like a month straight where every time you would pop up in my Twitter notifications, which is fairly <laughs> regularly, I would just just crack up, like put my like hand over my eyes and just start like laughing at my desk, just like vision. It's like the most perfect picture of vision I've it ever does. seen in my life. And like he doesn't need to do right because he doesn't have hair, but it's funny. So I wanted it to <laughs> That's be. That's why it's so funny. <laughs> it's hysterical. <laughs> He is an android wearing a do-rag. It's great. And his expression. Stephanie, thank you so much for joining us today. You have been incredible as always. I can't wait to have you on again. You're just going to have to keep coming back to us with your brilliance. Hey, I don't mind. And just thank you all so much for when you got my email saying, yeah, you know what? We do want to do that. So I appreciate that because like I can write about this and I am going to write about it, but also I want to talk about it. So thank you all for just extending your platform to do that and just extending your platform in the way that you have. Um, You all have definitely been doing the work and I just really appreciate how you've been uplifting um, just black women, um, non-binary folks, folks that are cis, 
trans, queer, all of that, like, because this is what, this is what we should be doing for one another, um, uplifting the voices that yes. need to be heard. So thank you all for doing what you do. That, I'm like <laughs> blushing a little bit, crying. <laughs> like, but thank you so much. Like that's literally everything that we want to do and why even do anything if you're not doing that, yeah. you know? So thank you very much. comic we're going to talk about is The Misadventures of Izanami Gray, which is by Jeffrey Brown, who we talked about pretty recently. Yes, Jeffrey wrote the beautiful Zero Jungle that we reviewed. I also want to say that there is a different Jeffrey Brown that is a cartoonist. (laughs) And uh, this is a different person than the one that won a bunch of Ignats or whatever. This is Jeffrey Brown, friend of the pod. Yeah, but Jeffrey also will probably win some Ignats at some point because this comic is also amazing, as was Zero Jungle. So amazing. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Seven years ago, Izanami developed nanobots that greatly enhanced the body's natural healing factor. Growing tired of conducting tests on animals, she subjected herself to her bots. But after a fatal encounter with her mutated ex-boyfriend, her life changed forever. Now she is an empathic vampire who feeds on the emotions of others. What a setup. (laughs) So yeah, you had me at empathic vampire. I was like, what? Say what? I want to read all of this. And I love it. I love it. I just plain love it. Yeah, the art style has come leaps and bounds since the last time we saw Jeffrey Brown's work. Even though it was really great then, it has gotten a lot better. There's a lot more detailed background stuff. Yeah. And there's a lot of dynamic motion in this. When people are standing around, they're kind of pacing and stuff. You can see that there's motion in the frame, which is nice. There's scenes in this that are talking head scenes, but they don't read like that. They read very intense. Yeah, totally. I thought that the moments of like intense violence were rendered really beautifully, which I think is a challenge to do, but I think were just incredible. And there were these epic full-page spreads that are just like, what? That is so beautiful. That is the coolest thing I have ever seen. Everything feels like it's composed really carefully. This has just been clearly a labor of love. I I love it. When they go into the sewer to fight the sewer monster and the sewer monster just goes, meat. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. And the sewer looks really interesting. This whole scene is just so, so dynamic. Totally. I also was like, uh, could someone please give Tatiana Troy my number? Because hello, (laughs) good night. We should be together. You are perfect. (laughs) Yes, it's so true. I love all of these characters. I thought that this was just a really fun, great comic. And it's kind of the next step, I think, from Zero Jungle. It's different, but... To me, it just, it continues a lot of the first things that we saw there. So it's still great to watch Jeffrey Brown continue to be amazing and get better and better all the time. Yeah, totally. I think you're absolutely right. You can see the continuum in in their work between the two pieces. And I think that this has just a really 
promising story as well. Like I zipped through the, I don't know, three, four issues they sent us. And I was like, I'm not ready to be done with Izanami Gray. I need Mm -hmm. more of this. And I think that is always a good sign. And we're just so lucky to have Jeffrey creating right now. I think they have a super, super bright future, no matter what they choose to do next. And it's cool to be like, ooh, uh, we get to be close to them. Like, now you're close to them too, pod listeners. We're (laughs) all friends of Jeffrey's now. Yeah, go ahead and definitely buy the comics from the Gumroad that we link to, because they're kind of great, and I think you'll enjoy them. Here's a quick question for you. How did you sleep last night? If your battle for a good night's sleep feels relentless, I have the answer. It's a podcast called Sleep Wave with meditations and hypnosis created to help you fall asleep. My relaxation techniques will help you feel calm and ready for sleep with soft music that will help you fall asleep in minutes. Most listeners never hear the end of an episode. So search Sleep Wave on your favorite podcast app and find out why over a million people have fallen asleep to my voice. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. The comic of the week is Prince of Cats. Written and illustrated by Ronald Wimberly. Letters by Jared K. Fletcher. Logotype and design assist by Jordan Haley. Dear God. Dear God. This, this is, is my the favorite. Best. Yeah, this is my favorite. <laughs> We're like, no, I want to go first. My favorite, no, me. I want to <laughs> say how much I like it <laughs> first. I love this comic. It is giant. First of all, that is something that you can't forget. The biggest book on the shelf (laughs) it's kind of a thin volume but it's big tabloid size so I love reading books that are just big for some weird reason I don't know it makes me feel like the 1940s or something when you're holding like a gigantic newspaper or something I just love it the format is great that art blown up that only does favors for the art I feel like a lot of art can't hold up to that size (laughs) increase but all of the art that we see in this book is just unbelievable and I'm so glad that it's so giant agreed I felt like the texture on the skin tones of different characters was just breathtaking it's so Mm -hmm. layered and 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 deliberate and totally powerful and that cover the cover is just so incredible you see that and you buy it you know it just looks nice so the book is an adaptation of 
William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet, focusing on the characters who are less central in the Shakespearean play. So it's not about Romeo and Juliet primarily, though they do appear and their story is what, you know, again, forms a lot of what happens through the book, but really focusing on the secondary and tertiary characters, the Prince of Cats being Tybalt. And then also a lot more time with Rosalind and with Mercutio than I would say that the Shakespearean play spends time. It is one of the coolest modernizations because it keeps the rhyme and the meter and it keeps a lot of the same words but then it'll change words really carefully a line where the author Wimberly has smashed together sort of the Shakespearean phrasing and the Shakespearean meter but then with words like bro and uh it's just so perfectly balanced in every way that this could be hackneyed or ham-fisted it is delicate it is subtle yeah we've seen the whole modernization obviously of many of Shakespeare's plays and a lot of times they fall a little flat because it's so timely that it's dated in a second and then also you know the struggle of do we use Shakespeare's language or do we use like today's language all of that comes up again and again whenever you see these and depending on what your preferences are that depends on whether or not you enjoy adaptations but (laughs) in this book the combination of modern slang and Shakespeare's speak (laughs) is the highlight almost of the entire book as much as I just said this is one of the most beautiful books I've ever seen just aesthetically it's gorgeous also the entirety of the dialogue is poetry in and of itself I believe it follows iambic pentameter yeah it's you know as you say with words like bro and stuff so it is it's great you know you see the places where the conversations happen are different you know there's a barbershop scene where these black characters it's a uh, Gregory and pretty much almost everyone but Romeo, I think, is is black. Though Romeo could be any ethnicity. I have no idea because it's a comic. And they are just like rolling a J and getting a haircut. And it's just so normal. And Oh, it was Tybalt. Tybalt was getting the haircut and it was his friend rolling a J while he was talking to Tybalt. Tybalt has like a dope lip ring that is like, woo, so hot. And... Mm-hmm. It's just really incredible to see this juxtaposed, you know, this is a story that is super freaking old and modernizing it did favors for it, which is wild because usually I, I, I mean, I love a fucking modernization. I mean, clueless. Hello. Thank you. Hello. Goodbye. I'm at the mall. (laughs) Um, But it is just perfect. And so I think that Prince of Cats manages to, I think it's that it does everything with such a deliberate eye to how the whole comes together. So nothing is too much. There's not too much modern slang. There's not too much Shakespearean. So then you don't even realize that there are whole passages I read that I was like, wait, a bunch of that was not in the original, but it felt like it was because it's so careful and I think the same thing can be said with the art there is a really good balance of panels with no words in them and panels with lots of words there's a really cool way that the acts the different acts have a break in between them and you get to see newspapers or like a flyer for the duels I really like that instead of having there's only like one gun in the book so all the duels are actually with swords 
And that's really powerful, and it makes for really cool blood art, which I know is, like, not everyone's cup of tea, but I'm always like, ooh, good blood. So good blood. It is just, uh, I love it. I totally love it. Incredible. And it's really great to see this character because this character specifically I always loved so much in the Shakespeare play and in, you know, even, like, the 90s, John Leguizamo. Brilliant. All of that was great. I love this character. And just seeing the character unfold more and learn more about him and what motivates him to be such the strong and kind of terrifying character, <laughs> I think is great. And also he just is the coolest in this, as as the Prince of Cats would have to be. Absolutely. I also love how they represented Mercutio. Mercutio is always my favorite character yes. in Romeo and Juliet. Because again, I think I think Mercutio is super queer coded. And I think that if you get like Shakespearean jokes, I'm right. And <laughs> it's echoed here. There's like funny jokes about, you know, Mercutio is dick and like flirting with men. And it's just done in such a very, again, like subtextual way. It's really, really cute. And I like the way that the female characters are drawn. They're pretty minor characters compared to the overall, but we see a Rosalind that is much more brought to life than like, oh, Romeo's side chick that he got over. It's, right. you know, she's a person and she has feelings. What? And that's that's really nice to see, really refreshing. It feels like a, a nice reclamation of that character who's often sort of treated like a hussy we can laugh at. So I really, I really appreciated that. And I thought that it was just really clever to turn this familial feud into a sort of like family slash gang feud that was an interesting build on. Again, it's like every change Wimberly made in Prince of Cats is an addition to Romeo and Juliet that does so much for it. Yes, it does so much for it. And there's been so, so, so many adaptations of Shakespeare. And I feel almost as if so many of them go in these kind of, let's modernize it because it has cars now or something. <laughs> and, this, and this to me was just, no, let's modernize it, yeah. <laughs> like period. And it works so well. And it kind of revolutionizes the story because we're looking at the characters that we never really got to see enough of. So that to me is just groundbreaking in and of itself as far as Shakespeare adaptations go, because we've been seeing this cycle kind of repeated for a very long time. And I feel like Prince of Cats just dusts it kind of and puts a lot of those adaptations to shame. It's a new bar that you would have to supersede to be better than it. Like it is so good. Yeah, it kind of has redefined the genre a little bit or the mm. subgenre mm -hmm. of Shakespeare adaptations. And I loved it so, so much. But I want to say, if you're going to get this book... This is one of those books, you know, most of the time I think I read comics on my Kindle, but if you're going to buy a comic, if you're going to get this comic, I highly, highly recommend that you just buy the hardcover because this is something you're going to want on your shelves because it is gorgeous. Absolutely. I, I cannot wait to buy it. I have a library copy at the moment and it's from Image Comics. So if you Google Prince of Cats Image, you can definitely find somewhere to, to pick it up. Do it. Sarah, do you feel like there are a lot of queer podcasts out there? There's only a few. And do you think there's like a lot of queer comics podcasts out there? Mmm. Okay, exactly. So what we do is cool, fun, unique, spicy, 
and we're very real. We tell you what we see, we tell you what's good, what's what's not good, where where you can read more, what you can skip, and what you need to know if you want to be cool. Just kidding, you're already cool. <laughs> and if you're cool, find us on Patreon because we could use that sweet, sweet cash money to keep making more podcasts. We're at patreon.com slash bitchesoncomics. a podcast that is all about making comic books more accessible to LGBTQ folks and women. So if you have a question about anything related to comics, comic adaptations, pop culture in general, conventions, cosplay, you name it, that's what we're here for. You can send us your questions at bitchesoncomics at gmail.com. Unfortunately, Gmail does not like the word bitch. They're pretty judgy about it. So (laughs) we can't have it spelled out. It is B dot T-C-H-E-S-O-N-C-O-M-I-C-S at gmail.com. And do you remember there's no I'm bitch? If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by rating and reviewing us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Sarah Century, and you can find me at www.sarahcentury.com and Twitter and Instagram. Still Sarah Century on those. I'm S.E. Fleenor. You can learn more about me at sefleenor.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at at S.E. underscore Fleenor. Bitches on Comics is recorded by Kate Warner, who plays in the band Churchfire. You can find them at churchfiremusic.com. Music provided by Earth Control Pill, which you can find at earthcontrolpill.bandcamp.com. Bitches on Comics is recorded in Denver, Colorado. We want to recognize the indigenous peoples who have inhabited and do inhabit this land. The Arapaho Nation, the Ute Nation, the Cheyenne Nation, and others who have been erased from our history and collective memories through colonization. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.